It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KOMA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hey everyone, welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. We have officially entered the holiday season just off Halloween with Thanksgiving coming next and then Christmas. As we navigate our way through the COVID pandemic, we continue to see progress in turning back the dangerous virus. And with cold weather and holiday gatherings upon us, we must remain vigilant in our efforts to keep COVID at bay. Tonight, we'll get the latest from Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. And later in our program, how has COVID impacted the popular Meals on Wheels program? We'll connect with leaders of that amazing service to find out how you can help serve our most vulnerable populations at their time of highest need. First, welcome to the program, Heather Hill, Communicable Disease Program Manager at the Health District. And Heather, let's begin with vaccines. I think that's the most timely topic this week, as the green light has been given formally to children ages 5 to 11 to begin receiving the COVID vaccine. That's correct, Jim. That's great news that came out just, you know, in the last couple of days we were anticipating it and it has finally arrived. And we do have uh, a large quantity of the pediatric dosing here in the office, and we are acting as the hub and the depot for our community providers. And we've already gotten requests and have started rolling vaccine out to our community pediatric providers. So if you are a parent and you are anxious to get your child vaccinated, Give your doctor, your your child's doctor, a call, and they'll be able to tell you when they'll actually be receiving it and um, able to start doing vaccinations. What is the the are you, the concern? Is it right now with parents? Is it finding access to it, or are you finding you get a lot of questions relative to kind of like we've seen with the older age groups, just the questions about hesitancy and and whether their children should get the vaccination. We get a variety of questions through our call center, you know, including the ones you just mentioned. But I think what's interesting is right now we're getting, you know, pretty much the parents are calling, is it available, where it's available, where can my child get it, all the way to to side effects and what the risk is. And when we look at the trials, the vaccine trials that were done on children of this age group, it was found that there were no cases of anaphylaxis, there were no cases of myocarditis, and most of the time the children had the the similar reactions that adults do to the vaccine, with the majority complaining of a sore arm. And and yes, um, this from personal experience, yes, this vaccine does cause your arm to be sore. You can get some body aches, and children certainly experience that as well. But when the CDC, the FDA, and the ACIP looked at this vaccine versus the risk of a child of this age group actually catching COVID, they have to look at risk-benefit. And they looked at it through many different models and what-ifs. And every time they came to the conclusion that vaccination, any perceived or realistic risk of getting the vaccine, um, far outweighed the the risk of getting the actual disease because we know in this 5 to 11-year-old age group, kids do get sick. Um, we have seen deaths in that age group, 
And that's why, you know, it's important to consider that, that disease burden on our children. We know in the United States that more, about 1.9 million kids ages 5 to 11 have caught COVID, 8,300 have been hospitalized, and we've seen 94 deaths in, in the pediatric population to COVID. So though it doesn't affect that age group as badly as, say, the elderly, we know that it can have long-term devastating effects, and losing one child to a vaccine-preventable disease is certainly a tragedy. When we look at vaccines in general, anytime we roll out a vaccine, they've been well-tested, looked at, and um, the same thing holds true with the COVID vaccine. It's gone once again through the same rigorous um, testing trials that any other vaccine would go through before rolling it out to the general public. Now, the one that has been approved is the Pfizer vaccine. And as I understand it, it's similar to what the older adults like me received was the two-dose two regimen. But I understand it's smaller doses, but is the, same, is the time frame still the same for the children? Yes, the time frame is the same, but you're right. The dose is smaller. And what they try to do in the world of vaccines is give the smallest amount of, of product, of vaccine, that will elicit the response we want, the, the immune system responding. So we want as small a dose as possible to give us the right immune response. And we know that children that are younger children, particularly of this age group, they respond much more robustly to vaccines in general than older kids and certainly adults. And so it's not a weight. We're not looking at how much a child weighs to determine the dosing, but it was felt that at that age group, the the 5 to 11-year-old, their immune system responds so much more rapidly, robustly to immunizations anyways, and they were able to determine that a much smaller dose of this vaccine actually elicited the very strong 91% um, reaction that they were hoping to get. So that is you know, why we can give a smaller dose to the children. And it's, it's about a, a third of the dose of the adult. So it's a much smaller dose. It's only 10 micrograms versus 30 micrograms. It does reduce some of the potential side effects, but we still see that really robust, good immune response for the child. Now, with the children getting vaccinated, I know, you know, it's different uh, with the adults. With, there was so much interest in it, and, and there was the opportunity to hold these mass vaccination clinics. But, you know, 5 to 11, if memory serves, that's like kindergarten to maybe fifth grade. And so it'd be just like if they have to get any kind of a, a shot or a vaccination, if you will, uh, there's probably some trepidation. So is that part of the reason that there, the encouragement is to go to your normal pediatrician or your, your doctor to get your vaccine? Yes, exactly. There's a lot of really good evidence that tells us parents want to go to the, the child care provider. They want to go to the pediatrician. Kids are more comfortable getting vaccinated in, in that medical home by a provider that they know, they've seen before, and they've developed some level of trust. Even when getting a vaccine can be unpleasant, getting it in an office by a doctor who you've met before, who, who knows you and knows, knows your health concerns, is a much better situation for that child. Plus the fact 
that while you're there, your pediatrician can certainly update your child on any other vaccines that they might be due because we know kids got behind during COVID and it is perfectly safe to get a COVID vaccine as well as, you know, it's influenza time, get your child immunized for influenza and actually any of those other so important childhood vaccines that kids need. From a timing standpoint, say if someone was able to start getting vaccinated as early as, say, next week, the, the time factor or the, or the way the, 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 the time to being fully vaccinated would seem to me about right, right before Christmas and probably even more important or as important as by the time they return to school after the holidays, there can put up quite a, quite a army of kids having been vaccinated. That's right. And that's the goal is to get, once again, as many people in this, this population, these kids, vaccinated because then we'll see the disease burden in the family decrease, in the, in the school settings decrease. And it will improve the health and, of the kids many, many different ways, not just from preventing COVID, but ultimately we're looking at the point in time when, you know, maybe masks can go away and we can come back to a little bit more normal environment in the classroom. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. When we come back, we're going to visit with Heather about the latest data on cases and hospitalizations. The trend seems to be continuing to be favorable, but we'll find out just uh, what level of concern we have to be as we get ready to go into the holiday season. We'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. A reminder, if you missed any part of our program, Cadillac On Call is available on podcast. Simply search Cadillac On Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Back to our conversation with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, before we get into, uh, I guess, a little more a conclusion a comment on vaccinations, I, I did want to touch on, we, we mentioned at the top, we've, we've reached the holiday season. Halloween just uh, was this past weekend, obviously. Uh, so are we expecting to see, it won't be surprised if we happen to see an increase in cases in the, in the coming, say, week or two? It wouldn't surprise us if we saw a little bit of blip up in our, our data, our statistics. We've certainly been trending down over the last month or so, which is a good thing. But any time we have events where people start to gather, we'll start to see a slight increase. I mean, Halloween is typically an outdoor event, um, but there are certainly those more adult gatherings that happen inside um, buildings, inside facilities where the risk of transmission increases. But I think we're looking at more concern to the upcoming holidays with Thanksgiving and Christmas just right around the corner. And once again, heading into these holiday times, when our community is still, even though we're trending down, we're still at at pretty high rates. And I think that's where we need to not let our guard down because we're excited to see the data going down. We can all breathe a little bit of sigh of relief. Um, But... We don't want to let our guard down and end up um, trending back up as badly as we have in the past as a result of our, our gatherings. So once again, 
Um, we've talked a lot about vaccines. Now's a great time to, to get your vaccine on board to help you um, be protected heading into the holiday time. A holiday time is when you're spending it with families and close loved ones, and the last thing you want to do is end up being part of an event that, that could lead to severe illness in, in one of your family members that attended with you. So getting vaccinated. Again, looking at, at who, you go, who are you going to celebrate with? What does your pod, your little group of people look like? Are they vaccinated? Um, what are you doing as those uh, mitigation strategies to help have the safest holiday that you can? Because again, yes, we are trending down. Our data is looking better. Our testing data, our positivity rate out at the CDC West test site has shown about a 1.5% decrease over the last um, 14 days. We're still seeing, you know, almost 6,000 tests running through in, in a couple of weeks. But the positivity rate is decreasing, and, and that's a very good thing, as well as the admissions due to COVID to our hospitals have decreased about 7% from the previous week. So. Um, the hospitals aren't feeling as stressed. Um, our testing sites are showing a decrease in positivity rate, and our our actual data is still going the right direction and that the, we want to go. And a, and a point of context in a couple of areas on that hospitalization number for people listening at home, uh, I think my recollection at Cadillac uh, the last week or so, the numbers have been running into the 20s of hospitalized COVID patients and that number was in the low to mid-80s, uh, barely two months ago, back into early to mid-September. So a lot of progress has been made there. But you mentioned the term that the the heights, or the I'm sorry, the case rates are plateauing at a higher rate than you like. What give us some context? What what would you would you like it to see? Obviously, the lower the better. You know, they're not necessarily plateauing or or not continuing down. They're just not as low as we would like them. You know, looking back to when we were initially hoping to see a uh, hundred or less per a hundred thousand over a fourteen day period, then we thought, well, okay, how about two hundred or less? And that was kind of our goal was for our community to get to that case rate. And we're still running, you know, three hundred, four hundred per a hundred thousand over our previous two weeks. So that's telling us that, yes, we are trending in the right direction, but our number of people infected who are living in our community is still significantly higher than what we need to see it to say that we can all start living a little more comfortably. So um, easy to let our guard down and lose sight of our ultimate goal, but we just absolutely can't now, especially with moving into the holiday season and the parties and the gatherings, it would be so easy for us to start trending the wrong way again. And I know of the age groups, your your area of concern was that, say, 15 to I think 40-ish age group was was an area of concern. But I think you were sharing with me that it's the high school age group is what you're seeing uh, the highest uh, reported infection rates. Right. It's that high school age group. And again, it's not that they're transmitting it within the classroom setting, because once again, kudos to our schools. They have really tried hard. They've done such good work in making sure that they have their kids in the safest classroom setting possible. They work very closely with us and have taken our guidance and, and just done tremendous with it in the school. 
It's the extracurriculars. That's where we're starting to see. That's where we see kids spread it, is more in the extracurricular activities outside the classroom. So, yes, they wear masks in the classroom. They're doing all the things that they should. But when they leave that classroom environment, that's where we're seeing um, transmission happening. And it is uh, quite a high case rate, like you said, yes, in that um, high school age population. We touched on the the major news uh, at the top of the program is that now this 5 to 11 age group is eligible to start getting vaccinated. With Among the high school group, they've been that 15 to 19 group that you just mentioned have been eligible for some time now. Are they, have they get, been getting vaccinated to the degree that you would like, that age group? Um, we would like to see it improve. We're certainly seeing a fair number of them get vaccinated. But you know, we would love to see a much larger um, percent of that age group get vaccinated because then that that would mean a lot of safety for all of us. But again, there's that that little bit of a incentive if you are vaccinated and you get exposed potentially in the classroom at school. You don't have to quarantine at home. You get to stay in school wearing your masks like everybody else does. But your life will be much less disrupted with needing to go home to quarantine if you are vaccinated. And that seems to be a real advantage for a lot of parents who want to keep their kids in school, keep that consistency in the classroom environment, because we know that is the healthiest place for kids to be. They need to be in class. And if getting kids vaccinated means they get to stay in class, then that's an even a greater reason to get your kids vaccinated because, number one, the chance of not becoming infected or spreading it to others, and number two, it's that, you know, that definite um, being able to stay in your classroom if you're exposed. Before we let you go, I, I wanted to have you touch, if you would, maybe a little comparison of where we were a year ago, uh, getting ready to enter the holiday season, November, December, the cold weather Give our listeners uh, some context of where we are today versus where we were, say, one year ago at this time. You know, we're in in many ways we're in a different place. Um, our, our data is looking much better. Last year, though, the message is still pretty much the same. Um, high rates, very concerned about are we going to continue in a downward trend so once again, as a community, we're in a little bit of a precarious position um, where in the past we've seen us do very, very well. We get our rates down, and then holidays happen, activities happen, Delta hits, and that just really uh, changes the trajectory of our, our disease in the community. And here we are facing it once again um, this year heading into the holiday So let's keep that um, trajectory going in the correct direction, going down, by continuing to do all those things that we've recommended for the last, you know, almost two years now. And maybe the the final 30 seconds, the other key point that, that I guess I would like to point out a year later, a year ago, schools were virtual. You couldn't go inside very well and sit down at a restaurant and eat, or you had to be you know, much more restricted uh, from a business standpoint on what you could and couldn't do. And here a year later, schools are open. You can pretty much uh, do mostly anything you want and spectate at games and things of that nature. But uh, all the while, so it's like we can, we can deal with this and make progress, but still not give up our livelihood. 
Right. We just have to do it cautiously and continue to do those mitigation strategies. And, uh, you know, especially wearing your mask, that face covering is really the key to protecting others and protecting yourself. So keeping up with all those mitigation strategies with the distancing, the hand washing, the masks, and certainly the vaccinations has made it possible for us to enjoy all those things that we really like to do. We're social people. We want to be together, and that will make it happen for us. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thanks so much for your time. Back with more right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, made possible by the support of the Catholic Foundation. The COVID pandemic has taken a tremendous toll on our most vulnerable populations of people in this region, many of whom are older. It's produced isolation, depression, and feelings of being disconnected. Well, there's one organization which has had to adapt its services and adjust its way of providing those services, and that's the Mid-Columbia Meals on Wheels service, which does such wonderful work in dealing with patients and folks and citizens in our community who are in that uh, mode where they don't have ready access to food. And Meals on Wheels does such a wonderful job of delivering nutritious meals to hundreds of people throughout our region. And as the pandemic eases, Meals on Wheels is working to build on its ability to safely serve its clients. And we're happy to have on our program today Christy Thien, who is the Nutrition Services Director of the Mid-Columbia Wheels, uh, Meals on Wheels Service. And Christy, thanks for taking some time to be with us. And maybe just an overall initial comment uh, on this COVID theme. How has COVID impacted your great service? Well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And boy, uh, COVID has hit pretty much every part of what we do. Um, in the past, we've always prided ourselves on our signature Five days a week, we serve a hot meal. And, you know, when when the pandemic first hit and we knew really so little, uh, the first thing we did was to pull way back and just provide once-a-week delivery of frozen meals. And, you know, our, our whole focus was on getting food into people's hands and not worrying so much about, you know, gosh, you know, it has to be a hot meal. It, it was more about feeding people. And as time has gone by and we have adapted and been able to kind of adjust how we work. Uh, we're, we're now doing two hot meals a week for our home-delivered clients, and we have five days a week of drive through hot meals. And we're always looking to expand and hoping to get COVID under control to the point where we can start reopening our eight senior dining centers. Um, we are just blessed with incredible staff and volunteers I can say that we have provided food to seniors through, from the very beginning of the pandemic. We've not had an interrupted day of service due to the pandemic. Um, our our staff just stepped in and really kind of we our, our guiding principle is that it's not about us. It's about the people we serve. And every one of them just exemplifies that in every way, as do our volunteers. We had some people who, you know, obviously had to step back for health issues. And it's funny because even though they have stepped back, many of them call us regularly to check in and, you know, know let us know that they're still thinking about us and that they still support us. 
And then, you know, the volunteers who have stayed with us just seem to go above and beyond and do more and more. Uh, we have a gentleman out in Prosser. His name is Ray, and he's 90 years old. He just turned 90, and he is still delivering two days a week. And, you know, he just is so dedicated to what he does and to the clients he serves. And, you know, someday he'll be a senior himself, maybe when he's 100. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful story that, that, that um, in the face of all of this, that people just continue their their desire to serve, and, and, and kudos to you and your team to for be able to provide them safe methods and ways to do that. If you would, maybe for our listeners who aren't as familiar, give our give them an idea of, let's say pre-COVID, on how many people take advantage in, in, of the services of Meals on Wheels, say on an annual basis, in the, the area that you serve. Well, we serve all of Benton and Franklin counties, so our we have eight senior dining centers, and the furthest ones are Prosser and Benton City, and then we go up to Connell as well. And we'll serve, you know, roughly twenty three to 2,400 people each year, all seniors. And, uh, you know, between 200,000 meals and maybe 230,000 meals a year, um, it's just an amazing <laughs> group of People who come together to make that happen, and it's not just our staff and volunteers. We have incredible community support, including Cadillac. Um, you guys have been great supporters, and it's not uncommon for me to have three or four calls in a week from either a donor who wants to, you know, increase the level of giving that they're at, or, you know, just yesterday we received a $5,200 check from a new donor, uh, Northwest Farm Credit Services. It's just this community is so supportive, and, you know, we kind of talk about, um, you know, wanting to serve our community, but the truth is that this community built the kitchen, the beautiful kitchen that we have. And so we have these eight senior dining centers, and that's for people who are still driving and able to get out and about. And then for the people who are homebound or maybe living with a homebound person, um, so it's too hard to take mom out because... You know, getting her in and out of the car just totally exhausts her. Uh, we offer home delivery for those folks. And in the past, before COVID, we did that five days a week. And um, one of the most beautiful things that comes from these home deliveries is the relationships that build between the drivers and the, the clients. Um, I Last week, we took some pictures of a 26-year-old volunteer. She's been with us, I think, five years. Her name's Jordan. And she is a favorite of all the seniors. And I had gotten this beautiful message uh, from the daughter of one of our seniors saying, you know, if you guys don't know it, Jordan's amazing. <laughs> and I wrote back, well, of course we know. You know, she's great, as are all our folks. But um, they were very gracious about letting us take some pictures with Jordan and the senior clients. And it is, it's just amazing when you see these relationships build. And it happens every day. We actually have a um, wonderful volunteer who's been with us for a long time who's in the hospital sick with COVID right now. And the guy who subbed for him, I guess that was yesterday, uh, said that every place that he delivered, they were asking where their driver was because the folks come to expect that driver and, you know, it's a special moment. Um, people talk about, you know, having the drivers come. That might be the only person that they see during the day. And, you know, it breaks up their lives. It gives them something to look forward to because they know that special driver's coming. So 
our hope is that sometime in 2022, we look just like we used to, where we have these dining centers hopping with people eating um, in a restaurant style. Um, and, you know, they, they get to know the people who sit at their tables, and that becomes an extended family. Um, and then they socialize beyond and the phone calls and whatnot. Um, so we're really hoping that we get those dining centers open and that we get back to five days a week of delivery. Um, you know, talking about how COVID hit, we as we move forward, we have had a lot of new volunteers start with us um, in addition to having some have to step back. But that will be a challenge as we move forward to get those volunteers in place and probably even more so as we increase what we do, we're going to have to be hiring staff. And anybody who's tried to hire in this climate knows that, you know, hiring is not easy right now. So um, we're hoping for the best. And very many of our employees start out as volunteers. Uh-huh. So that's uh-huh. always a, a good uh, employee pool for us. I want you to touch on, if you would, you brought, you, you, you touched on, uh, a point that, that is this the the connectedness that the recipients of these meals receive from your volunteers and just maybe a little bit on how important that is in the livelihoods of, of these clients as you mentioned they they have a whole different assortment of living conditions and situations and physical abilities and limitations that are put upon them and so i'm sure as you touched on a little bit that they these clients just value this this connection that they have or the personal connection to these drivers uh and i'm sure that has been uh, impacted oh it sure has and you know we've we've had to drop back to contact free deliveries so when we arrive at a home as a volunteer where we've got all the food bundled up and you know we set it on the porch or on the table or whatever is right there in the front and then we ring the doorbell and step back six feet because we're trying to keep everybody safe, our clients and our volunteers. I'd say I think it's about 65% of our volunteers are seniors themselves. And so safety is, you know, first and foremost in our minds. However, that comes at a price. You know, we're talking to each other through masks. Um, for folks who don't hear well, that can be a problem. And to miss that smile is, is really hard on folks um, I think people have learned to adapt a little bit, but it, it, it's, you know, I would say no more hugs and handshakes. And that's really a tough thing when, you know, the relationship isn't a one-way thing. Our drivers always say, you know, I get way more out of doing this than, I, you know, than I give. Uh, it's It gives everybody who does it, it gives us purpose in life, and it's... Um, you know, we look forward to seeing those clients just as much as they look forward to seeing us. So, you know, um, you can imagine being alone all day and, you know, waiting for someone to show up. Uh, it, it's hard. And we started a phone buddies club, actually, <laughs> uh, to to try to have some connection outside of those meal deliveries because people are very isolated. And, and when COVID first hit, you know, sons and daughters were afraid to go to mom and dad's home. You know, they don't want to get their 90-year-old mom sick. Right. And so people were further isolated. And, you know, vaccines have certainly helped some of that isolation. But um, we get a fair number of phone calls, and people will call. I don't want to say under false pretenses, but sometimes it is. You know, they'll, yeah, I think I was shorted a milk today. Or, you know, <laughs> they'll have something like that. 
Uh-huh. And pretty soon you realize you've been on the phone with someone for 20, 30 minutes because they just, they wanted just the need contact. human contact. They absolutely do. We have a brand new dietitian, and she was talking about a couple calls she had had, and that's the first time she's experienced this. And she said, you know, I think we need to find ways to engage people. And that's she's got great. some great ideas we're going to push forward with. That's terrific. We're visiting with Christy Thien, the Nutrition Services Director of the Mid-Columbia Meals on Wheels Service. When we come back, we're going to get into a little bit more the volunteer side of that wonderful organization on how if you're listening at home and how you could get interested and join their group. And we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. We have just a few minutes left with Christy Thien, the Nutrition Services Director of the Mid-Columbia Meals on Wheels Service here in Benton and Franklin County. And Christy, you touched on the, the, the value of the volunteers that are the lifeblood of your organization. For somebody listening at home, uh, what's, what's a normal shift like for someone, who, and how can they take part if they'd like? Well, we have no normal. No, we kind of do, but... <laughs> There's no uh, typical day, right? <laughs> Well, kind of. uh, yesterday we sent out uh, 200 grocery bags to residents in Kenwick, and that's an unusual thing for us to do, but it required 22 additional drivers beyond the drivers who were busy doing the meal routes. So, you know, there are those special event type things, but if you're a driver with Meals on Wheels, you typically come in about 1030 to pick up your meal bag. It t- we try to do all the deliveries between 11 and noon. So then you head back and you're, you know, you're done by 1230. It's usually about a two-hour shift. But we also have people who volunteer at our drive-through. We have lots of people who help package meals. We, uh, since COVID hit, we have made all our own uh, frozen meals and we've made them all low sodium. And so we're putting out, you know, probably 3,000 frozen meals each month, um, excuse me, each week so that, you know, we can keep up with the demand. Um, so there are people who help with that. Sometimes we get folks who are, you know, greatly experienced in a kitchen and want to help with some of the cooking. Um, that, you know, does take some skills, and we do require a food handler's card for something like that. Um, we have a new program that's just gotten approval. Um, it's going to be called Winter Helpers, and we're going to try to pair able-bodied folks to come um, help some of our seniors with things like shoveling the snow from their walk. Um, that's an issue every year once the snow hits. Um, you know, we have drivers who can't get up the stairs because they're terribly icy and seniors who can't access their dial-a-ride to get to the doctor's office. So we're going to try to, you know, kind of fill that gap a little bit and set up some deliveries with that. Um, and that will be a very different kind of program than anything we've ever done. We just finished our Happy Pet Halloween where we had – uh, volunteers um, deliver pet food and toys and um, pet items that some of our seniors had requested. Um, so there's always something new going on at our place. Uh, <laughs> Meals on leashes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but you never. I, that's a great thought. You would never think of that. That a lot of the a lot of the the folks have have pets of some kind. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean. 
that's their best companion, most of them. Right. And, you know, and but, you know, pet food has gone up, too, just like everything else. And when you're 85, it might be hard to lift the bag of food. And so we have a couple different pet food programs, and we have lots of donors who give us pet food all the time. And I couldn't even guess. I would say probably 15 bags of pet food go out from our place every week wow. in addition to deliveries. <laughs> uh, yeah, the pet Halloween, this was our first year, and it was so fun. Oh, that's we, awesome. you know, had people and stuff. It was great. We have just about a minute left or so. If, if you would, if someone has uh, had their interest piqued about becoming a volunteer, what, what's the process and how do they go about signing up? All you have to do is call our office at 509-735-1911. And that number is good if you'd like to become a volunteer or if you'd like to access services. Uh, you know, if you want to be on Meals on Wheels, now's the time to get signed up before the snow hits. Um, We're here to help and uh, here to get folks involved in our community. And and you touched on, I guess, a good point is that you're you're reaching the time of the year weather-wise when it places even more strain and limits uh, your clients from being able to get up and about. So uh, probably a great time if you'd like to start volunteering. Now's a perfect time to do so. Absolutely. Yep. And we're, like I said, we're hoping to increase our levels of service as time goes. So we're going to need more and more people to help. Well, as you heard, that's the Meals on Wheels program of the Mid-Columbia, which covers Benton and Franklin counties. And hopefully as these numbers continue to come down relative to the pandemic, we can continue to see their ability to serve more people continue. And Christy, thanks so much for your time. Pass along our thanks to all of the people who volunteer for this wonderful organization. And again, if you'd like more information about the services of Meals on Wheels, you can go to SeniorLifeResources.org. That's SeniorLifeResources.org. And again, if you'd like to sign up as a volunteer, you can call. That number is 509-735-1911. Mid-Columbia, Meals on Wheels. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next Wednesday night.